I thank you for that prayer uh, this morning as well. Dan, I cannot add to it, so I will not. Um, but turn with your Bibles, please, to First uh, Corinthians chapter 15. We're looking at verses 1, 1 to 20. First uh, Corinthians chapter 15, 1 through 20. Um, I've got to tell you, as you're turning there, when I was growing up as a young boy, we always went to church. Always went to church. Easter mornings, though, were a bit different, a bit more special for us as young children. Um, we were greeted by my mother would always have a string going from our bed all the way out to the living room to an Easter basket. And on that string were jelly beans and chocolate eggs. Oh, that was just terrific. And then the only thing that was, I was a bit miffed, though, because my brother's room was a little farther down the hall, so he always got more candy than me. I always kind of resented that. But anyway, uh, fast forward to uh, when I'm age 27. I'm 27 now. And I just moved to Beaverton, Oregon, and uh, been there about six months. And the pastor there was very gracious, very easy to get to know. And um, Easter season was soon to be upon us. And I had one question that was stirring in my mind, and I was almost embarrassed to ask it, but I asked it anyway. I said, I said, Pastor, why do we celebrate Easter? And he said, you know, that's, and he very graciously said, you know, that's a very good question. We celebrate Easter because that's when Christ rose from the dead. Oh, that's right. I'd forgotten that. And then I walked away. I said, rose from the dead. Rose from the dead. I was a bit like doubting Thomas. I believed in Christ, believed he was my Savior, but having raised from the dead, I couldn't comprehend that. I just couldn't, I couldn't get there. And I wondered how it could be that a dead man could actually rise from the dead. It was just unthinkable for me. So today we're, we're comforted to know that the Corinthians asked the same question. In um, 1 Corinthians 15, we're going to go through verse, all the way up through verse 20. We shouldn't take that, uh, don't be too worried. We're, we think, well, I'll get there at a regular pace, I expect. But let's, I'm going to work through it a couple of verses at a time, okay? Let's look at this together. Look at verses 1 through 2. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and which you stand, and by which you were being saved, that if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Now, a couple of things that we want to be sure to check about the fourth word there. I remind you. This is nothing new. They, they'd been heard it before. Um, um, it, the, the resurrection, they believed it, had been saved by it. It was not a new message. It was not a new message. Um, verse 2, though, we looked that some had, if you hold fast, unless you believed it in vain, okay? So some did not really believe it or embrace it. They were, they were kind of like the, the, uh, uh, a person, a young person who names all these Awana verses, all these verses, which are all very good, all very good, and we as adults as well. But if we don't embrace Christ with that knowledge, it's all for naught. It's all for naught. And so they kind of believed like that, but they hadn't really embraced it. Um, then we go to a key, go to verse 3, if we will. Um, for I have delivered to you as a first importance, which I also received. First importance. Not second, not a secondary issue, but first importance, all right? We're not dealing with a minor or secondary issue here. It's first importance. Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. 
Now, it's interesting that why is that, why would it be of first importance that Christ died from the, died and rose from the dead? Why would that be of first importance? Well, basically, what does that do? We look at Romans 1, 2, 4, it validated his being God. It validated that, that he has victory over death. It validated his deity. Romans 1, 4 said it was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ, our Lord. So we, we kind of say, okay, this is why he's saying that. We take note. We know in verses 3 and 4 that Christ died. We know that because he was buried, all right? In the middle of verse 4, he was raised. We know that because he appeared. Okay, we got something going here. Dead bodies are buried. Resurrected bodies are seen. Now, what do we know for I delivered you as a first important what, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins. Of course, with Scripture, that he was buried. What do we know about Jesus' burial? Actually, quite a bit. Why? How do we know? Jewish customs, okay? We know that Jewish customs had he was wrapped in linen cloths, okay, from the, from the, from the armpits on down. And then they take about 100 pounds of sticky substance, okay, and wrap it around the dead body. And it would... Uh, then they applied the, the, the wrappings of the cloth around the body as well, and then a separate cloth over the, the head and the shoulders. Now, that's, that, keep that in mind. That, that's important. We're going to get to that. That'll be more important later on. So we know about that. The body was placed in a tomb, okay, a solid rock tomb. Usually it's in a cave. This is pretty normal. But the thing that's interesting about these burials, a large stone was right next to it, and it'd be about five to six feet high, about a foot thick, very heavy. Then they would put a groove in front of the tomb, okay? Then they would sit there and they would push this rock, roll it into the groove. If you go over to, to uh, Jerusalem, you'll see that. You'll see these rocks that are there. Um, and so it was very easy to, to slope into the, into the groove, very difficult to put out, to move out, okay? Um, it was to dislodge, very, very difficult. Very, it takes several men to do just that, several men. We also know the chief priests and the Pharisees remember that Jesus said, after three days I will arise. Now remember the chief priests and the Pharisees, they're very jealous of Jesus. They didn't want any part of this resurrection to leak out to more of their, of their citizens. So they went to Pilate, the Roman ruler, ruler of the area, asked him to order the tomb be made secure. He did that. He did that. He did that. So he did. A Roman guard of well-trained soldiers were stationed to guard the tomb. Now, these are well-trained soldiers. They're not like you and me. Some of you may have served. I appreciate they have. You were, you were well-trained. You were in that small group. A lot of us have not. But get this. The British, British historian George Curry states, the punishment for quitting the post was death, according to the laws. The most famous discourse on the strictness of the camp discipline indicates that the fear of punishment produced faultless attention to duty, especially night watches. Notice they would be put to death if they fell asleep on the job. They'd usually go on like four-hour shifts, okay? Um, four of them would be, at least four of them would be uh, standing guard. Others would be resting beside. Now, we don't know how many were actually there. It doesn't say, the Bible doesn't say. You look, look it up, anywhere between eight and 50 so soldiers were there, okay? A lot of soldiers were there. And those who were resting at the, at the feet of the soldiers, if anybody disturbance, they'd wake up and they'd come and defend the tomb. Now, the Roman guards also affixed to the tomb a Roman seal, a wax bearing, bearing the, the imprint of Roman power and authority, okay? It, to prevent vandalism. Anybody who just even broke the seal, who disturbed the seal, was a capital offense. 
They'd be put to death. So that's, that's, that, that's the setting. The, the, it was, everything was done humanly to prevent the resurrection from happening. From the word getting out. We got that. Now let's go back to, to verse, verse 3. And he was raised on the third day. He was buried. He was raised on the third day. Now, we have to remember now, verse 12, we'll see later on, that, that the uh, validity of the scriptures, some Corinthians did not believe this. They did not believe it. So let's take a look at this. Let's, let's be, see, what, what is Paul going to say here to validate Jesus' resurrection? Okay, that's what we want to do. Now we know, according to Matthew and Luke, some women went to the tomb, fought with, found the large stone, moved up and away. They found it. The grave clothes were undisturbed. Now, return back to what we said like three or four minutes ago. Remember how, they, how he was wrapped in the 100 pounds of spices? That was undisturbed, okay? The body was gone. And it's, and it's, it's interesting. If one was to, to create a story, if this is just a giant hoax, one would not say, let's use women as the, voice, as, as the voices to go to the tomb. No, let's use a man. Let's use a man. No, but you know Why? A woman, back then, sadly, I'm sad to say, that they did not, they did not have much weight in an ancient court of law. They didn't. It was sad that if one were to invent a story, the first witness would certainly not be women. Now, the disciples claimed that God had raised them from the dead, and they appeared to them, okay? Now, let's think about this. If they go to the tomb, and it's empty, that claim could not have been maintained for a single hour, Right? If the tomb was not empty, not in fact empty, the resurrection story could not, have, could not have happened. The Roman guards, they fled. Get this. They reported that Jesus' disciples had stolen the body while they slept. While they slept. Now think about that. There's at least two problems with this, aren't there? One is they claim they've been sleeping on the watch, which results, remember, in execution. Okay? If they claim they were sleeping on the watch, how could they see Jesus' disciples stealing the body? So there's really issues with that. Now, some have suggested to discredit the resurrection. Maybe the disciples went to the wrong tomb, and the women did too. Okay, just find the right tomb, and there, the body will still be there. Or maybe the disciples stole the body. That's kind of interesting that a bunch of uh, fishermen and tax collectors are going to overpower these well-trained Roman soldiers. Um, and later die for it? Not, not, not likely. How about Jesus' enemies stole the body? Then the talk of resurrection was surfaced. Why didn't they just produce the body? How about this one? Jesus simply swooned, just kind of collapsed on the cross, wasn't really dead, only seemed to be dead. Um, that means being whipped after 40 times, nailed to a cross for six hours, have a spear thrust into his side, left for bleeding in the cold tomb for 36 hours. He revived, pushed this incredibly large stone out of the way, then walked on his feet that had spikes in him and tried to convince the disciples that he's, the, he's your risen Lord. Not likely. I think it takes more faith to believe one of these theories than it is to believe that Christ was risen from the dead. Now let's examine the, the verse 5. It says that he appeared he appeared to Cephas, also known as Peter, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom were still alive, 
Though some have fallen asleep, then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as one untimely born, he appeared also to me, Paul. So what might be an explanation if one's trying to discredit the resurrection? Well, maybe the disciples just lied. Maybe they just, they just lied. Now, we must remember of the 11 remaining disciples, Judas, of course, had committed suicide, so there was 11 left. Ten died a martyr's death. Think about this for a minute. Very cruel deaths. Crucifixion was the cruelest of all. It's a very slow death. Peter was crucified upside down. He didn't think himself worthy to be crucified as Christ, so he crucified himself upside down. James, Jesus' half-brother, Andrew, Philip, Simon, Bartholomew, all crucified. Thaddeus was killed by arrows. Thomas was speared to death. Matthew and the other James died by the sword. Now, key point of evidence. Many people have died for a lie. Okay, they have. But all these men would have had to, to die for what they knew was a lie. For what they knew was a lie. Unless, of course, it was no lie at all. And that Jesus did, in fact, rise from the dead. How about this one? The disciples hallucinated. They just kind of saw visions of Jesus. They thought it was Jesus. Is that possible? Well, my mother was 97 at the time. She fell and broke her hip. Had to have hip surgery. And she um, was on this pain medication. I'd go visit her at the, at the uh, uh, rehab center. And she would look at me and she'd say, uh, can you rearrange those jars up there? There was no jars on the shelf. And she would sit there and point. So I dutifully would go like this and this one? She said, yeah. Over here? She says, yeah. And, and this one okay? And then we finally did that until it was all. Then she, then she would nod her head. Nod her head. Okay, that's good. Nothing was there, but she was hallucinating. So we know that hallucinations do happen, but more than 500 at the same time? Unlikely. Or maybe this is just an elaborate hoax. Maybe, maybe that, yeah, it's just an elaborate hoax. Now think about that for a minute. A hoax perfectly written by all four disciples, all four gospel writers, as well as the entire New Testament? And what men have willing, been willing to die for from the first century up to now? I don't think any of these are very satisfying. They, I don't think they, they passed mustard. We must look at another piece of evidence that adds credibility the changed lives of the early followers of Jesus. Verse 9 says, For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it wasn't not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it, is, it was I or they, so we preach and so you believe. So the apostle Paul, he self-proclaims, he persecuted the church. Now, he just wasn't just a little bit. He didn't just vote against him or say bad things. No, he was a skeptic. More than that, he would go, more than this, he would take action. He would take action to persecute the church. He'd go from house to house, finding any Christians to throw them into prison. He would sit there and help them. He helped them stone Stephen. One of the ironies of that is Stephen was kind of Paul's forerunner. Yet Paul helped him be executed. He held the clothes with us, could stone him. 
the, uh, but look at verse 10. Verse 10. By the grace of God, I am what I am. By the grace of God, God's grace, he was a changed man. He taught, he eventually became a man from that horrendous crimes against the Christian to, in fact, all of a sudden become a, a very loving and a very forgiving and the most influential writer of the New Testament. Wow. That's, that's quite a change. That's a changed life. How do we explain that? Unless the resurrection is true. How about the disciples? It was the brave women who went to the tomb, not the disciples. They were, they were, they were all sheltered in. They were hunkered down, right? These same men went from hiders to proclaimers. From hiders to proclaimers. These same men. You can't miss this. They, were, they didn't care if they were going to get threatened with death or imprisonment. They, they just could not. They had new courage, zeal, and delight in sharing the good news of Christ and his resurrection on three continents. How can you explain any of us explain this transformation unless these men had, in fact, been with the resurrected Jesus. Now, what if no resurrection? Look at verse 12. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection from the, of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the, of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. Again, some have tried to discredit. They said, this is just too hard to fathom. We just, it's just too unbelievable. That's the way I was. That's the way I was. Couldn't, couldn't comprehend it. Could not comprehend it. It's too unbelievable. Maybe that's where some of you are today. Would that be so bad? I mean, after all, with, even without the resurrection, we'd have Jesus' ethical example, his moral teachings, which would be good. He'd have his miracles. Wonderful. His good deeds, we'd read about many men and women. His suffering and death, what a wonderful sacrifice it is. But Paul reminds us that if there's no resurrection from the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. So if, the resurrection, if there's no resurrection of the dead, Christ was dead, he could not have been raised. Verse 14, if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. Now remember now, his resurrection provided the overwhelming evidence that he is who he claimed to be, the Son of God. That was, and so if that's not true, our faith is just meaningless. Verse 15, we're even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God. That he raised Christ, whom he did not, whom he did not raise if it is, it is true that the dead are not raised. So all who have proclaimed Christ would be liars, including Paul himself, including me, if this was not true. Verse 17, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. If he's not resurrected, guess what? Our forgiveness is lost. We need to look for another Savior. There's no substitute. God demands a holy, perfect sacrifice. He'd just be like any other man who was crucified. There was many of them. Verse 18, 
if resurrection was not true, then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. There is no resurrection. Without a risen Christ, they had their choice, they had their chance, but they chose not to. Now they get to face the eternal consequences of, of a misguided choice. Verse 19, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. Hope in this life only. So if there's no resurrection, the message and the messengers have to be rejected. You know, it's interesting. Life's full of up and downs, isn't it? It's full of ups and downs. The downs, is this, is this all there is to life? Just this right here, this, these however many years God has given us on this planet? This is a... No, we are to be most pitied if that's all there is. And we, you know, it's interesting. We look at it life, you can look at Facebook, whatever you look at, look at your neighbors, look at your neighbors. They're lost souls. They are lost souls out there without Christ. What kind of life do they have without Christ? It is, it is not good. Think it's interesting? It doesn't have to be that way, does it? It doesn't have to be that way. We commit our lives to Christ we're new creatures. We're new creatures in Christ. Now, this is a rather alarming set of implications, these six we just mentioned. And every one of them is true if the resurrection is false. If it's false. Faith is in vain. Misrepresentation of God. Still in our sins. Perished. We're beaten most pity. But everyone of these implications is false if the resurrection is true. All those I just mentioned are false if the resurrection is true. Well, verse 20. We have to have a response here. We cannot read this scripture without a response. Verse 20. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. There's no middle ground here. There's none. You can't just say, well, I kind of believe he rose from the dead. No. We either believe it or we don't. It's kind of similar when I go to a restaurant. When I order something off the menu, but the first question I ask is, is it spicy? I'm not on the fence. I don't do well with spiciness. I just don't. It's just the same thing here. There's no, there's no middle ground. We each have to Choose a response to this claim by the Apostle Paul. May I challenge all of us to consider carefully and choose wisely. You're not sure about this? Ask questions. Do your research. I encourage you to do so. But may I encourage you not to delay. Don't delay this. Don't delay this today. Easter. Perfect time. Perfect time. Many of you are coming because your, your friends and your family invited you. Great to have you. Really have. We love having you here. Don't delay, though. A life with Christ is so much better than a life without Christ. A life with Christ is so much better than a life without Christ. John 10.10 10 says, The thief comes only to steal and destroy, which he does. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Does not mean we're going to get a bucket full of money. We're going to get the big job. We're going to have a big house. No, it's not talking about that. It's a life of perfect guidance. 
satisfaction, a peace that surpasses all understanding. It's not referring to material gatherings. So if you conclude, as I have, that Jesus died for our sins according to Scripture, and that he was buried, and that he was raised from the dead on the third day, that he has appeared, then we can celebrate in reading this morning's passage. Our faith is not futile. It is well-placed. Our forgiveness is not lost, but complete. Emphasize that. Our complete. Forgiveness is complete. Our future is not hopeless, but hope-filled. Our family and friends who have died in Christ are not eternally lost, but safe in the arms of Christ. Looking forward to that, by the way. Our integrity, as well as that of other like-minded ministers, is not compromised, but maintained. You see, I, too, am evidence of a risen Christ. I, too, was a Paul, was a Paul. The I, too, was, had an experience where Christ changed my heart. He did, he did. He gives me love and patience and forgiveness when my instincts are just the opposite. Now, I'm not going to pretend that I am a perfect man. I'm not. Just ask my family members. They'll give you all the evidence you need. The, um, you know, I was, interested. I was on a road trip with one of our sons to Portland to see a tor- Portland Trailblazer basketball game. And one of our sons had a friend with him. It didn't matter what evidence of the Bible my son gave, he was not interested. But I said, you know, I don't need any more evidence in the Bible. I don't. I have seen him change my heart. My heart. I don't need any more evidence. No. I, I, the, he, he's given me just the opposite. Now, now, like I said, my sins are many. I'm still unloving at times, impatient, unforgiving, and prideful, to name just a few. But when I let Christ rule in my heart, fills me with the Holy Spirit, those go away many times. Nor is my life free of tribulations. It's not. Trials, I get them, just like you. But Christ's beautiful thing about the Christian faith is he gives us strength to persevere in those times. I have so much to be thankful for of his, his forgiveness of my sins and of those who believe in Christ. There's a lot to be thankful for him. One of the beautiful mysteries of the Christian faith is that he is always with us. He's always with us. Yes, there's something supernatural about the Christian faith. We can call on him the beautiful thing about the Christian faith, about Christ. We call him as our helper on earth and our savior after we die. Now, in this crowd, I'm not going to pretend that all have believed in Christ. Maybe you're one that doesn't matter how much evidence of Jesus' resurrection that is presented to you, you refuse to believe. Perhaps you have questions with no answers. Like the, like the uh, disciple Thomas did until he saw Jesus. Perhaps you can ask your friend you came with or your parent. I'm going to ask the elders to please stand up. Please stand up where you are. Please, the elders, please stand. Or perhaps you can ask any of these men. Thank you, gentlemen. Here you are. Or you can have a seat. Ask any of these men or me. For those of you I haven't met, my name is Bill Michelson. Call the church office. We'd love to get together and help work, work through these questions you may have. Help you on this journey. We've all been there. Now, may I give one final word to those who are still considering whether the res- resurrection is true. You can visit the tombs of Buddha and Muhammad and see where their remains lie. You'll see them. 
Look him up on the internet. They're there. But we can celebrate that we don't, don't waste your time looking for the remains of Jesus and where historians believe his tomb is. Don't waste your time. We can all celebrate he is not dead. He is risen indeed. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for that, dear God. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your, your reminders for us today. Help us to celebrate them. In your great name we ask it. Amen.